This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and I'm the career director for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. We are back live in the studio every Thursday, noon Eastern. So if it is Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are taking our calls right now at 844-942-788. And we have Dana and Chris running the ship today, making everything sound great on the show. And we are going to have a lot of fun, as always, talking about career and job search. And if you've got a question, maybe you're struggling with getting a response to your applications, or you can't get past that first interview, which can be really tough, we want to help you. And we'll take your calls all hour long at 844-942-7866. So the biggest thing going on in the world of work right now is the migration back to the office and there's a lot of mixed feelings about that according to JobVeet. 74% say remote work is very important or somewhat important in their decision to accept a job offer and of course there's still concern about COVID with 58% saying they would decline a job offer if the employer did not have clear COVID protocols in place. What are your thoughts? Are you are you being asked to come back to the office? Are you thinking that you'd rather stay remote? You got this down? Or are you excited to get back to the office and wanting to to have those in-person meetings again and conversations with your coworkers at the water cooler? Let us know. 844-942-7866. And if you are in human resources or managing a move back to the office, what are you hearing from your employees? 844-942-7866. As always, today is open calls. It is all about you, the listener, and we would love to hear from you. So it's no secret that engaging in a job search today can feel really confusing and ambiguous, and it just seems like the process is becoming more complex by the day with video interviews, simulations, and so much more. Today's guest hates ambiguity, especially in the job search, so he's made it a mission to make the process more science and less art. Steve Dalton is the author of The Two-Hour Job Search and the new book, The Job Closer. He is program director for Duke's MBA Career Center and founder and CEO of the corporate training firm Contact to Colleague. Steve holds an MBA and chemical engineering degree from Fuqua School of Business and prior to entering the career services industry, was an associate marketing manager at General Mills and a strategy consultant at AT Kearney. Welcome to the show, Steve. It's great to be back. It is great to be back. I'm sad you're not in studio, but with COVID, we can't have you here, but at some point we will. But congratulations on your new book. I know it's been a long time in the making. And your first book, The Two-Hour Job Search, demystified the process of, of building a company list and networking. So what was the the intent of your newest book, The Job Closer? So the two-hour job search really zoomed in on what I call the squishy middle of the job search. And the squishy middle is where everybody seems to get stuck. It's not a, because people don't get stuck because they don't know how to write a cover letter or how to answer, tell me about a time when you uh, worked as a team. Uh, what they struggle with is getting that first interview. And that really hinges upon networking, which to me, when I had come up through the ranks and been trained by career coaches, was always presented as an art. Here's 25 tips, curate, that, curate them, figure it out for yourself. Um, so the two-hour job search really turned that into a recipe where if you follow exact instructions based in science in the, for the most part, um, if you follow these instructions in this order, you will predictably develop advocacy that will predictably lead to interviews. The one challenge was that people were finding that process really helpful, really enlightening, and they'd ask me, okay, great, I got an interview. What interview book do you recommend? <laughs> Is there a book that does for interviewing uh, what you do for networking? Is there a book that does for resumes what you do for networking? And there really wasn't. It, it, this industry has really been dominated by tips for a very long time. And tips aren't accountable. You can't replicate tips in, in the same predictable way that you can replicate instructions. 
So what I attempted to do with the job closer is make a traditional cookbook. It's a, a series of recipes for each step of the job search, because like you said, it's gotten a lot more complicated lately. There are a lot more elements to it. So it's not about doing everything perfect. There's just not enough hours in a day. It's about doing everything good enough so that you can get back to networking because getting those referrals is really the only predictable way to get interviews. Avoiding distraction from that task is really the, the key challenge of the modern job search. So it's interesting because I think about like the job search has gotten more complex, which would make it harder to write a cookbook because there's so many if thens and what if that then this and um, and all that. So so how do you get around that? I mean, the, the, the quest for perfection when nobody agrees on what perfect looks like. I think just getting out of that argument and settling for good enough in most cases. So there was a great study done by the Ladders a few years ago where they found that on average hiring managers spent six seconds reviewing resumes when reviewing a stack of applicants. That wasn't the interesting thing. I think we've all heard variants on that study, but what was interesting is they, what they were looking at. They hooked these recruiters' eyes up to eye-tracking software, and they found that what people were looking at were primarily where you worked before, what your job titles were, what your dates of employment were, where you went to school, and if you don't notice the theme of all those things, those are the things that don't change. They are objectively true or false, right or wrong. That's not the stuff that people stress over when they think prepare a resume. They stress over the bullet points. And what it turns out, according to that study, is they spend a grand total of 1.2 seconds per resume actually looking at your bullet points and the, the subjective information that you submit. So getting out of that loop of I need to get that, I need to get my resume right and getting into the loop of I need to get my resume seen, that's really the, the challenge that I help people through with the job closer, giving them techniques that are replicable, that are good enough quickly rather than perfect slowly or impossibly. Yeah, I do think I do think it's really easy too to get tied up in the the things like resumes. Think I'm doing really productive work towards my my job search because it feels like I can see it; it's on paper. But in fact, as you know, the the resume rarely gets read um, cover to cover. Actually, it may never get read cover to cover. Maybe with the exception of of you and if you have a career coach. But eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. It's Thursday. Guess what? We're live on Doctor Don on Careers on Business Radio Sirius. XM 132. If you've got a question about your resume, if you've got a question about how to get in front of the decision makers, which in my opinion is the hardest thing to do these days, we are so excited to have Steve Dalton back on the show who wrote the To Our Job Search and his newest book, which is available right now, The Job Closer, demystifying all of those those things that are ambiguous and complex in the job search. So I have to I have to I have to jump in here because I read the introduction of your book and you you say twice in there you might be taken aback and that many people might find your approaches jarring and I was like wow there's a warning to your book (laughs) (laughs) yeah tell us about that yeah so many uh, experts in the space who've been doing it a lot longer than I have and I've been doing this for 15 years Uh, but they've been doing a lot longer than I have they are still emphasizing what I consider outdated and rather counterproductive uh, elements like sell yourself. The sell yourself for me is a concept that works well when you're naturally charming and charismatic. But I was a former chemical engineer, kind of bred for awkwardness. Like I'm not charming. I'm not charismatic. I, I have my own charisma, but it's, it's an awkward charisma. If I were to sell myself, that would be off-putting. It would be, uh, uh, it would turn recruiters off and make people's guards go up. Like in the modern world, our, our guards are up for a sales pitch at all times. It used to be commercials just happened between the segments of our TV shows. Now they're integrated right into the shows themselves. So our guards are always up, and success in the modern job search means bringing people's guards down systematically. If you lead with a sales pitch rather than leading with a, an attempt to get to know the person on the other side of the table, it's going to usually work out pretty poorly. So moving away from the kind of traditional, the job search is a full-time job, sell yourself, put yourself out there into a more uh, be good enough quickly Make sure there are no mistakes. Uh, tell a story rather than sell yourself when you're answering a question like "Tell me about yourself," which you know gets asked in every single interview. Um, there are just there are ways to make the search simpler, and I think a lot of what the intellectual capital out there does currently is make it more complex. I just want to make this easier for people. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people want that, Steve. Hey, 844-942-7866, do you want your job search to be easier? (laughs) I think there would be a universal yes to that answer on many, many levels. Give us a call because Steve Dalton has done that. He's made the process easier in his newest book, The Job Closer, Time-Saving Techniques for Acing Resumes, Interviews, Negotiations, and More, which is available right now. And we're excited to have Steve here answering all of your questions related to the job search. So if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, give us a call on Sirius XM 132 at 844-942-7866. So one of the interesting things that you do in your book, um, Steve, is you talk about, yes, the job search has become way more complex, but that each each item kind of has a different level of importance. And so we should really structure where we spend our time based on that. So in your opinion, in, in today's market, what, what are those areas that have the greatest importance and what are the ones that maybe we tend to spend more time on but don't really have that that you know really big level of importance in the scheme of things i mean i think the the most overvalued one is definitely the resume uh my my supervisor ed bernier he he uh helped me kind of develop what i now call ed's rule of three and he says that assume your job search is going to take 100 hours don't spend any more than three of them on your resume that's truly what your resume is worth. It's, it's getting your biographical information out there. If, and, and I walk people in the, the job closer through basic resume, good resume, and great resume. And basic resume means just error-free and factually correct. And good resume is when you start quantifying your results and, and, and being a little bit more subjectively impressive. But good res- basic resume will work for most people most of the time because, the cha- again, by the time someone looks at your resume, they generally already like you. There's a lot of coaches in the space will say, well, you need to optimize your resume for keywords, but that's a major time suck because it'll take how many minutes to do that per resume, per application on top of all the other questions you have to answer. And there's really no data that shows that there's a great return on effort. I've talked to hiring managers at major firms and I asked them, how do you use these ATS systems? And they say, usually they're looking for people who have this job title that they're hiring for, who've done this job before, but somewhere else. Again, something that you can't change on your resume, or they're looking for someone who's worked for their competitor. Again, something you can't change. You worked for who you worked at. So the resume is definitely the most overvalued thing. And I think people find some safety in the devil they know. Uh, resume work, you can just do it in an all-nighter. You can, you can stare at it at the safety of your own home. You're not putting yourself out there. But in a sense, you are. If you're hiring executive coaches to review your resume, nobody agrees on what a perfect resume looks like. So as soon as you show it to another coach, there's going to be disagreement, which causes anxiety, which causes paralysis. So that's overvalued. Undervalued, I think, choosing what you want to do. I think if you focus on learning when you're doing networking, when, you, when you're doing a job search, if you focus on learning, you'll get job leads. If you focus on job leads, you get neither. So really focusing on topics that you want to learn more about up front, that just paves the way for a far more productive and, and painless job search. Yeah. So, um, so, so on the front end, definitely choosing what you want to do. And in interviewing, make sure that you get the big four correct. That's that's the other opportunity that I think that's um, undervalued. Yeah, I definitely have that on my list to talk about because I think that is that is critical. And I, it, but there are people who like dedicate their whole kind of livelihood to helping people get past the applicant tracking system. And it's interesting to me how we've gone to all right online applications much easier than it used to be mailing your resume. But now employers are getting too many applications, so they need ways to reduce those. And people can't get through the applicant tracking system. So now we need people to help people get through the applicant tracking system. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Here? Here. What what has gone wrong that now we just keep needing more more jobs to fix the another problem another problem? I feel for the coaches that are out there because that's just the, where the demand is. I have coaches who know networking is the path forward, but the clients who want to hire them want to hire them for resume reviews, which to me is is, is just such a shame on so many fronts because you don't learn anything from re- revamping your resume. You learn something from talking to people who have the jobs you want. So even if that's work that a coach wanted to do, they would still need to talk a client out of what they asked for um, or, or de-emphasize or redirect their interest. And I think it, it goes even deeper than that, our support networks. What they, when we, our parents, for example, if you're doing a job search and your parents ask how your job search is going, they understand two metrics. They understand how many hours you've spent and how many applications you've submitted. Unfortunately, neither of those things correlate with success in the job search, but that's the only affirmation that you get during this lonely and isolating job search. So 
I'm trying to give people tools like the Heimlich maneuver does for helping someone uh, stop choking, helping to save someone from choking. Uh, I'm trying to substitute that 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 sugar rush of positive feedback that doesn't really correlate with success with techniques that predictably lead to success. So while you're giving up that ability to quantify for your support network, here's how many hours I spent, here's how many applications I submitted. I want you to instead talk about how many conversations you've set up. Conversations do correlate. Informational meetings do correlate with success, but you need to retrain your network. So there's a lot of kind of old, outdated, conventional wisdom that the, 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 we'd all just be in a better place if we could correct for that, where we can recognize that resume submissions don't correlate with success. Actually having conversations with people who have the job you want does. How do we get people to reinforce that positively instead of the, the easier uh, more commonly misheld idea of throwing resumes around. Yeah, and and you know the fact is is that anybody who's been trying that method of applying online and tracking how many they applications they've sent and how many responses they've gotten, they know they have their own data that it doesn't work. <sighs> but it's just every time that one company gets back to you, you think, oh, it's working. It's it's kind of a a very. Um, uh, basic learning it, technique in psychology, which is why gambling is so addictive because, you know, you, you throw money after money after money, lose, 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 and that one time you win. And so all of a sudden, it's like, this is working. <laughs> Come back. Come back. I know. It's addictive. 844-942-7866. We're excited to be here again with Steve Dalton, who is the author of the new book, The Job Closer, and of course, his very, very popular book, The Two-Hour Job Search, which has recently been uh, revised and updated. So get your new copy of that as well. And we are talking all about how to demystify the job search and make it simpler, which I know everybody listening out there is thinking, uh, I need that book. And you do. 844-942-7866. You got a question about how to make the process easier? Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you if it's Thursday noon Eastern. We are live all hour on Sirius XM 132. So one of the hardest pieces of the job search for many, Steve, is figuring out, well, what the heck do I want to do? And, um, you know, I think a lot of people know in 2021 that they want to do something different because they've spent the last year reflecting on on their jobs and they're thinking, all right, this, this might be a good time to make a meaningful switch. Others are deciding that as companies are asking them to go back into the office, that they really like the remote type of arrangement and if their company is going to force them to go back they're thinking I'm not going to do that so we're we're looking forward to what is being called by the media the great resignation coming over the next few months but a lot of people don't know what they want to do they know they want to do something different and you've got a few exercises in your book to quickly figure that out the one that really jumped out to me was um, called you bet your life exercise can you share that Absolutely. The, the You Bet Your Life exercise, it's, it's so simple and short and elegant, um, but it gets right to the heart of the matter. The Bet Your Life exercise is simply this. So everyone listening, you can play along. Imagine that your life depends on, and you only get one answer to this question, but imagine your life depends on getting it correct. The question is this, at what skill are you most confident you're in the top 1% of the world at? And if I were coaching a student, I would give them a minute to sit in silence and really cycle through that. So I encourage you out there to listen listening to do that right now as I'm speaking. Once that minute is up, it doesn't really matter what that thing is. It just matters that, okay, what is that skill? What jobs reward you for that skill? Like if your ability to put food on the table for yourself and your loved ones depends on one skill, it should probably involve that one that you're, you're willing to bet your life on being in the top 1% of the world at. So what's the minimum amount of fluff and things that you don't like that we need to add to that to make it into a career path? Now, that's not something that falls in your lap in terms of the answer. You're going to have to go talk to people who have various candidate careers that you think, oh, may take advantage of your ability to break big problems into smaller pieces. Um, and maybe you came up with, I'm, I'm in the best Tetris player in the world. Well, okay, uh, probably you're not going to get hired to play Tetris. What is it about Tetris that makes you so good at it? And going a level, a level deeper, but really just distilling it down away from trying to be like looking through job postings and saying they need these 10 skills and I'm only feeling confident in five of them, getting away from that kind of how you're deficient and getting into, okay, well, this is the thing that I'm really going to hang my hat on in terms of my livelihood. Um, what else do I need to add to it to make it a, a robust career? 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, when you bet your life on it, that's, uh, I, I think to myself, though, I'm actually really good at putting a duvet cover into, or yeah. duvet into a cover, but I hate doing it. I hate doing it. If I can never do it again in my life. So so where does yeah, where does that part, you've talked about the market and what you're good at. What about what you're interested in? I think what you learn about in your spare time for free, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, because if you're synthesizing information, that's a really good predictor that you're headed in the right direction because you're learning about this for free in your spare time. I want to find a way to get you paid for it. You're getting smarter at it every day without even trying. Uh, and I think a lot of people discount that. Oh, that's just a hobby, but it's a hobby that you're going to get better at every single day. The sooner you can make that a career, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, it's, it's just a matter of not ignoring what you learn about. I think people are so concerned about losing any possible head start they have in their job search that they stagnate. Like, I've done this before. I hated it, but I did it before, and I really need a job, so let me shop this around to other employers, some of whom may take chances, but a lot of who may sense that your heart's not in this and you're going to stagnate. Yeah, I and think they, it's they don't, so key. They don't want anything to do with you. Hunger, hunger. You got to show the hunger, and hunger comes through actions, not words. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM. 132 and we are live if it's Thursday noon Eastern all hour and we have a great guest back with us today Steve Dalton and talking about his new book The Job Closer and we are going to go to the phones with Diana in New Jersey welcome to the show Diana what's on your mind today Hi so I have a question I am I don't want to disclose too much but I've been in like the political space for a while and I really want to transition out of it and kind of get involved with tech however i know it's like totally different in a way i've seen some kind of like community builder kind of tech jobs and there's definitely like this interface between government and tech but um i've been doing the non-traditional things i've had some people tell me that i should just do consulting for tech companies but you know that's not really i i don't know but i don't know if i'm ready for that but you know, I've been doing some non-traditional things, you know, um, doing like Slack groups, just, just different things, like not just applying online per se. But do you have any idea or thoughts about that? So I guess my first question, um, and I'll throw it over to Steve for sure, but I, why tech, Diana? Because we're, it's perfect time for this call because we were just talking about your interest uh-huh. and showing that hunger. Why why tech? Um. That's a good question. I don't really know. I think, you know, I think because like I have friends who are in that industry and they're like, it pays really well. And it's really, I don't know, it just seems less. Okay, let me just be honest. It has been very draining. Okay, okay. politics is super draining. It's yep. super draining. It's, it's emotionally. Amen especially, to that. Yeah, and, and I've been involved with it for several years now. And I feel like I just want a break and I kind of want to be a part of something that doesn't require so much emotionality and vitriol and fighting and maybe tech doesn't have that either but at least I'm like well at least it pays good so it's not really my love I know that sounds horrible okay tell me tell yeah me. go Steve go Steve I can I, I hear see your your wheels turning go <laughs> it's it's a broadly scoped challenge um absolutely you can make this change I think the first the most helpful piece of information to know right now, because I, I see a lot of job seekers struggle with the anxiety of career changing with, I don't know if what I did before will ever apply to these future companies. And you're right. If you're thinking you're going to apply online and get an interview, you're going to get crushed right. by people who are doing the job that you want and have had that job title on their resume. So absolutely, that's not a path forward, but that doesn't mean you're, you can't be successful because ultimately, and, and this was just great intellectual capital. I owe it all to my, my colleagues at Fuqua. Uh, for brainstorming this and workshopping this idea out. But we think that all work distills down to four main topics. There is, you have to get things done, you have to solve tough problems, you have to collaborate with others, and you have to lead and influence others. So no matter what sphere you're doing that in, it all boils down to those four things, whether you're coming from the military or politics or graphic design, those four skills, we all go about them differently. We all have a different secret sauce that helps us accomplish that. And that's what I want you to focus on. You do those four things on a daily basis, just in a different sphere. So don't be self-conscious when you talk to these tech companies. Just ask people who look like they have jobs that you would want one day. Ask them how they got so good at it, how they got into the field. 
what they would do differently if they were trying, what they would do in their in your position if they were trying to break into it. See what resonates with you. It, there's no asking for jobs in the two-hour job search. It's simply just asking people why they're good at their job and letting them offer you job leads or references for more information to people at their company or other companies. So I'd really, the other piece of guidance I'd say other than don't be self-conscious about your experience as a career switcher, you've done the same things you would need to do in any other job. They can teach you the details if they like you. Uh, the other piece of information I'd say is tech is sprawling. So pick a subset of tech. Is it fitness tech? Is it ag tech or food tech or ed tech? Pick a segment of it that you learn about more organically that, and talk to a few companies in that space. So what you learn from one helps you with the other. So you get smarter over time rather than just being open to or, or focusing on whatever a tech company you see is posting a job right now. If you're constantly talking mm -hmm. about different topics, you're never going to synthesize information and it'll be very frustrating. Yeah. And I, I would say, um, Diana, that if, if you don't, you're going to be asked that question. You are going to be asked, and I know Steve's. We're going to talk about this a little. You're going to be asked that question. Why do you want this job? Why do you, are you interested in our company? And so, I do think it would be helpful for you to do a little bit more soul searching around what about tech is interesting to you. And to Steve's point, is there a specific area that you have a, a, an interest in and want to apply it there? Because that's going to be, in my opinion, that's the most important question in the entire interviews. What is your motivation for being here because if you have a mm -hmm. hunger and you're willing to roll up your sleeves and learn and contribute and I can see you being here and growing with my team and my company that's going to be way more impressive to me than somebody who has an exact match but looks bored out of their mind when they're interviewing mm -hmm. with me so I do think I do I do think doing some soul searching because the things you mentioned around um, jobs that pay a lot that is very true tech usually pays pretty well um, and there are a lot of tech jobs right now and that's going to continue to be the case. So there's some really positive market reasons to pursue tech. But um, the other thing you mentioned is politics. And I know you're talking about like, like, um, politics in the the actual literal sense, but every company is going to yeah. have politics <laughs> and, <laughs> in some form yeah. or fashion. And so really identifying what you mean when you say you don't want to be in, in politics. Does that mean you want to work in a job where primarily you work as, um, you know, independently and that you're not in a team that needs to be collaborative? Or does that mean that you want to just be in a different culture where, where the, the, you know, politics are not as front and center so I think defining some of those things for yourself will mm -hmm. one help you really get on target for for something that's exciting to you and I always say run to not run from and from what mm -hmm. I'm hearing is right now you're you're doing a little bit of running from you're like I don't like where I am so I just want to be somewhere else and I want you to run to I want you to be excited because as Steve mentioned you're you you have plenty of transferable skills and um, you know tech is an ever-evolving area where that you're always going to have to be learning and, and nobody's going to have the exact right skills. So so that's a bonus. But but you want to run, too. I want you to be excited about that. Does, mm. that, does that make okay. sense? sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I I, I have so much to say, but I will. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Yeah. Well, I know, yeah. I know, and I know you're trying to be a little bit, uh, you know, stealth and, and not giving away too much information, which I totally can appreciate. Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd give more, but I mean, it's only an hour show. <laughs> <laughs> I would, we'll I would, we'll I would have to invite Diana. More back for a full show you, you can be our guest one day we'll just we'll just talk all about diana's career because i'm telling you what you're experiencing is very common and it's going to be part of this you know quote unquote great resignation um where mm -hmm. people are just they're not happy they're not happy with what they're doing they've realized that over the past year especially because there's been a lot of other stress and they want to do something new but that that what is the answer is a tough thing to solve mm -hmm. and um to Steve's point, talking to people can be one of the best ways. You know, what do you love about your job? What surprised you about your job? What, you know, what's changing in your market? And, you know, what what types of skills are you using on a daily basis? What frustrates you about it? Because then you could start to learn these things and be like, wow, that is too political for me or that is um, not an environment I want to be in. But that one sounds actually really cool. So I think that's your next step. But I'm excited for you because I think the easier part of your job is going to be making 
flipping the switch. The harder part is is really nailing down what you want to do. And you only have to nail down what you want to do next because the world is changing so quickly that whatever you do next, um, you may decide this is great for me for a few years. And after that, you might say, I want to do something new now. And that's going to be the future of work, which is super exciting. So Diana, we wish you all the best. I can't wait to hear what direction you choose. Thank you so much for giving us a call day, today on the show and definitely um, check out, I think I think you'd really like the two-hour job search um, and the job closer, of course, but to get that process in motion, especially if you like structure. 844-942-7866. We are very excited to be back live taking your questions all hour on SiriusXM 132. But of course, it is time for the pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Yes, there is always a quiz. And uh, here's an interesting one. Who is the world's leading tire manufacturer? Who is the world's leading tire manufacturer? And for anyone who knows my pre-break quizzes, you know it's, of course, not one of the answers that you would think. So don't think along the lines of what pops into your head. Think more broadly than that. And I might give you a hint if... Uh, if, if uh, you know, we're not getting we're not getting a lot of good answers, but not just yet. Who is the world's largest tire manufacturer? 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM 132, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. On Business Radio. Welcome back to Dr. Dawn on Career, Sirius XM, Channel 132, Business Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School, also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. Hey, switchers are the future of work. Are you ready to reinvent? We are here for you live every Thursday, noon Eastern at 844-942-7866 take all of your job search and career questions. So give us a call right now at 844-942-7866. We are super excited to have Steve Dalton back. Back with us. He is the author of the two hour job search and the job closer, program director for Duke's MBA Career Center, and founder and CEO of the corporate training firm Contact to Colleague. And we are talking all about his new book today, The Job Closer. So, Steve, where can people find out more about you, follow you, get your book, and all that fun stuff? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dalton underscore Steve or learn more about the job closer at thejobcloser.com, about the two-hour job search at twohourjobsearch.com. And I have a very, very active LinkedIn group called the two-hour job search Q&A forum that has uh, over 7,500 members now. And I'm usually on there a few times a week answering questions, offering updates to the recipes that I teach. Uh, so it's a great community. I, I definitely recommend you all join. Nice. You keep using that word recipes and cookbooks, Steve. I'm going to start calling you Chef Steve. <laughs> Which is funny because I can't cook at all, uh, but I can I can make good non-food recipes. Okay, yeah, all right. So you eat pizza rolls and and egos, but but you have. I'm- I'm a very appreciative eater, so that helps me out a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 844-942-7866. We have to answer our pre-break quiz. And my buddy Dion called in especially for this. So, Dion, who is the world's leading manufacturer of tires? And I told you, it's not who you think. Okay, see, here's the thing. I've I've got a great story about a past job dealing with tires that I can't tell right now. But why? We'll, we'll talk. Wait, why? <laughs> you can't just leave listeners hanging like that. Sure, I can. It's, it's, that's a radio tease. That's what we do. Oh, boy. All right. You'll have to tune in next week when Dion's back, see if he can share his story. But I, I definitely want to hear that one. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I'm going to say Yokohama. Okay, I don't I even know what that is. <laughs> well, look, I, I wasn't going to go Michelin, Goodyear. Firestone, Bridgestone. I wasn't going to say any of those because, you know, it's you. 
Yeah, it's me. So I'm going off the beaten path. All right, I'm going to give you a hint, Dion, because this one is really hard. I know I told you last week because I had this all planned out last week. This is really hard. All right, the company that I'm looking for is most well-known for making a popular children's toy. See, here's the other thing that I knew and I couldn't figure out, and that's why I went with my answer. I knew it was a company that did something else. Yes. You know and, me well. Um, I, <laughs> the answer in my head, I'm, I'm thinking Fisher-Price, but I know that's not right. But but it is, they do make a children's toy, so they they, they they do make children's toys. Okay, no, I admittedly this one is this one is hard. Um, but Dana, Dana, you have children, so maybe yeah. maybe you know this. <laughs> okay, so after you gave that hint, I'm gonna say because every single year for Christmas I get my boys the year the the Hess truck of the year, so I'm gonna guess Hess. Oh, that's a good guess. Ooh. Yeah, those are cool. They make noise and everything. I used to get that. Yeah. Those have been around a long time. We they got those. They made noise. They made noise, noise when I was a child. Mine didn't. I, I may have got the bootleg. Has, has <laughs> 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 I remember mine making noise. <laughs> so funny. Well, batteries weren't included, so that that's always. Well, that the case. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, bring us home. Bring us home. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint, but the only the only companies I know for tires are Goodyear and Michelin. Like Dion said at first, those probably aren't the answers because of the obvious ones. Yeah, they're not. That's Michelin is third offer. place, but but yeah, but you got third place. All right, all right, Steve. I mean, you're an engineer. I, you 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 yep. built built things. I'm I'm gonna guess you know this because you know <laughs> weird stuff like this. I think I do. I've got it down to two. Okay. It just depends on whether you consider plastic wheels to be tires. Ah. See, it's either going to be Matchbox or it's going to be Lego. And if I had to choose between the two, I'd, Lego makes like rubberized tires, whereas Matchbox are all plastic. So I'd probably have to go Lego. Damn, Steve. <laughs> Steve got it right. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I, I emailed you that answer over the break. Uh, just I didn't need the head. I, <laughs> I am super impressed. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, it, the way Thank your you mind God. works, Steve Dalton. I one of these days somebody's gonna have to dig into that. It might be a little scary, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely will be scary. Yes, yep. prepare to be taken aback, as they say in the job closure. Yep. So yeah, I mean, Dion, let's admit that was that was hard. That, yeah. And yeah, you know. There was no way around it. But, yeah, Lego produces 318 million tires a year. So it is the largest. The group first began manufacturing tires in, in 1962, what would become their most popular set. And since everybody lost the tires, they started manufacturing them separately. Bridgestone is in second place. Michelin is in third Yes, lots of fun things to talk about at your next networking event if you want to be the most interesting person in the room. <laughs> Not. Uh, <laughs> Dion, so good to talk to you. Thank you for calling in. Of course. All right. Back to the job search. 844 942 Career or job search questions. We take them all hour long. We are excited to be here with Steve Dalton talking about his new book, The Job Closer. And so, Steve, we, we kind of teased this before, but let's let's go to the interview. What are those big four interview questions and why is time well spent focusing on these? Oh, gosh, because uh, a couple of reasons. They, they are asked all the time so they are very very frequently asked in almost all of your resumes you'll get or all of your interviews you'll get three of the big four at least and because they happen early in the interview and confirmation bias is a very human reaction we've survived as a species because we're very good at quickly sussing out fight or flight uh should is this a friend or a foe um so we make up our minds very quickly based on preliminary information and then we kind of screen out and ignore information that disagrees with our first impressions the big four collectively are, tell me about yourself. Why do you want to work at this company? Why do you want to work in this role? Why do you want to work in this sector? And of those, the last one is the least common. But the, these are the four questions that primarily comprise the first 15 minutes of your interviewer, of your interview. So there's a great study done by Frieder and Van Eideking uh, by, that shows that 60% of interview decisions are made in the first 15 minutes of your interview. And then another full 25% are made after the interview is over. So 
in the first 15 minutes, what happens, it's small talk, it's tell me about yourself, and it's why do you want to work here, why do you want to work in this role? So getting those questions right, over-preparing for those, four, those three or four questions that you know are going to be happening and you know are going to bear disproportionate weight on whether you get advanced to the next round is just a really good investment of time because less than 20% of decisions are made when you're actually telling your stories. So I, I know you have a chart in your book, too, that, that shows this, like how the interviewer is deciding kind of minute by minute. And I thought that was kind of fascinating. Um, can, you, can you share more about that piece? Yeah, so early on in the interview, they're really going by that, that, that airport test. So is this someone I want to be waiting for a plane in an airport when we get back in real life again? So it's really about likability. You need to get your interviewer to be on your side. So if you're awkward and, and hard to form rapport with during small talk, that's gonna, you're going to be fighting against that. They're going to decide you're an awkward person. They're going to screen out reasons to believe you're not awkward. And they're just going to keep looking for confirmatory information that says, yes, you're, you're an awkward person. I, this isn't going to be a good cultural fit. So small talk happens first. Tell me about yourself. I think a lot of people think this is the time to sell yourself. But in reality, that's very jarring. If you were talking about you were up late watching the, the sports match last night or you watched the Grammys or, uh, and you bonded over that or that you come from the same like, city. And then they say, well, tell me about yourself. And you say, here are the three reasons why you should hire me. That's very jarring. They want that person who is just talking about TV or music or uh, sports to, to come back and, and continue the conversation. So tell me about yourself to me. It's a fork. Every other interview question is a spoon. What it, so it has a different function. What it serves to do is transition you away from small talk into more salesy content by giving them information that's not on your resume. Basically, why did you make the decisions you made? Not reading your resume out loud to them because that's where a lot of people get tangled up. They memorize their answer. It's all what they did. It's already on your resume. It's, it's duplicative information, and it, it's soul-crushing to say and listen to. It's really boring. <laughs> it's soul-crushing. And then, <laughs> then they'll get into, tell me, why do you want this job? Why do you want, why do you want to work for our company? And that's, that's really, to me, where the, the sales element starts. It doesn't really firmly take hold until they start asking you, tell me about a timeline questions. But really, those, the big four are just, they happen early in your interview, and they just carry so much weight, according to research. So I really go into depth in that study, and it's so informative for me in terms of how I allocate my time prepping my students for interviews. And you have a whole chapter in your book about the part of the interview where an applicant is asked, well, what questions do you have? So I, I totally agree with you that this is such a critical part of the interview, but I think very few people prepare for it to the level they need to. Yeah, this, there's a, a, something called the peak end rule, which basically means we evaluate experiences based on their most dramatic or, or impactful moment and how they felt right before they finished up. So it's, a, it's an average of those two uh, experiences. How great was the highlight of your vacation plus what were you thinking like on the, the last day of it? That's the two moments that determine whether you re- how fondly you remember that vacation. And so peak, you know, you're going to have a highlight. They're going to like you during tell me about yourself because that's a kind of really interesting question where you can help them understand what makes you tick. Uh, but the end, it always ends with tell, what questions do you have for me? Let me make this easy for you. Your first question should always be, what are the next steps from here? That one has to be asked. You have to, because the, otherwise you won't know when to follow up or whether to follow up. So ask them to give you a date or some kind of general date where you should check back in to see if they need additional information. That way it takes it off your plate trying to decide when is an appropriate time to follow up on these. But it's still a matter of having a, a mix of questions that both form rapport Fun questions like, you know, what's your favorite part about this job? Where you can ask 10 different people and get 10 different answers. And then what I call expensive questions. If you want to do some research on the company and impress them with your ability to spot trends or read an article about them, like now is the time to kind of break one of those out. The problem with that is once you get them answered, typically you can't reuse them because you've already got the answer. They're often yes or no or factual type questions. Um, But if you want to demonstrate that you've done some research, saving it for the end of an interview is a good time just to see if that's something that they're into. But making sure that you at least ask, what are the next steps from here, uh, is critical. And what if they say they don't know? So I've, I've seen that happen. That Well, I'm not the, you know, you're going to have to ask somebody else or we're not sure. Um, then what do you do? I think, when should I check back in uh, for more information? Asking for that. Oh, well, if you don't hear anything in a couple of weeks, that's like not, they're not committing to anything, a certain timeline. And you're offering to do the work on their behalf. Either way, even if they say, I don't really know to that one, you still enhanced your brand. Because what I would expect from an organized, like, 
together or put together job seeker is that they want to know what happens next. They're not going to leave any threads dangling. So having some sort of marching orders, leaving that call when you can take further action to see if you can make their lives easier. Uh, that just leaves a very positive impression. And one of the things I love about your books, both of your books, is you have a troubleshooting sec- section at the end. And it's, it's like <laughs> you read my mind. I'm like, but what if this? What if this? And I always get to the end of your chapter and you're like, troubleshooting. <laughs> and here's the answer to your question. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM Channel 132. And I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham. You want to follow me on Twitter for more great information about jobs that careers and this show at Dr. Don Graham and you can also catch all of the replays of the show on iTunes. We repost them so you can catch up on all of the Dr. Don on careers goodness. 844-942-7866 it's 666. <laughs> Seven eight six six. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, we are live, and we are super excited to have Steve Dalton back on the show. He is the author of the Two Hour Job Search and his newest book, The Job Closer: Time Saving Techniques for Acing Resumes, Interviews, Negotiations, and More, which is on sale right now. And we are talking about how to demystify the job search. So, so yes, the end of the the definitely you never want to say that I don't have any questions. Um, So that is an important part. And I'm glad that you have a whole chapter focused on that. But what about the um, you also have a lot of of information about the dreaded weakness failure question. I know everybody hates that, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think people address it incorrectly. They dwell on the failure, the negative for two minutes. So all of your interview stories are going to be two minutes. Just for simplicity's sake, that's pushing that's that's the that's the safest duration for any of your interview answers. It's kind of the industry standard. So when you're asked, what's your big, what, like, tell me about a time when you failed. The mistake people will commonly make is they talk about the failure for two minutes and why it was a, a logical or understandable failure. But what I want, that's not why they hire you. They hire you to see what you learned from that or maybe how you improved upon that failure in a future iteration. And that's really the latter is what I focus on. I think that's the, the best way to go about this. So I, it's commonly referred to as a car story. Uh, challenge action result. That's the format that many coaches agree on should be used uh, with some variation. It's sometimes par or star. For answering questions that start with, tell me about a time when you did something, you led a team, when you overcame adversity. Now, weakness questions, I recommend something called a scar story, where you add a setback before the challenge and action and result. So that way you can bury the failure or the negative part of your story in the first 15 seconds. Often I recommend using a, a time where you failed from early in your career. And then I learned from this on a future iteration. And then you can go into a, a positive car story, where you, one that you like telling that's, that shows you at your best. And then maybe you make it a start story where you add a T at the end, where you have a takeaway. You know, the reason this is, uh, the reason this is my favorite failure was because from this experience, I learned the importance of drawing out uh, my entire team's concerns before trying to create a solution rather than creating a solution on my own that I thought was fully baked before showing it off. Like, okay, that's great. You made that mistake on somebody else's dime early in your career, and I don't have to pay you to make that mistake on my time. So that's a a better candidate, a self-aware candidate who learns from their mistakes. They didn't spend two minutes dwelling on the failure. They spent two minutes on how they received feedback from a failure and incorporated those insights into a future project. Yeah, there's a question that is typically asked in some form or fashion. So one to to definitely be be prepared for on your next interview. And one of the things I like about your new book, The Job Closer, Steve, is that you talk about starting a new job and, um, you know, what what are some things you should do when you start a new job, which I think is now more important than ever, um, as where many people are starting new jobs and some remotely. So what are some of the tips you have for really getting integrated into that new position? I think the first thing before all that else, and I have a, 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 a chapter on this itself, negotiate. It's before your job even starts, but that's how you establish your brand. I hire 10 people and only one of them negotiates their offer. That person's getting my most important project because if I can't trust them to negotiate for themselves when the stakes are highest, how can I trust them to negotiate or have a difficult conversation on behalf of my, my company? So uh, I, I give very simple language, and I recommend a technique called the pre-negotiation call, which helps you identify which 
topics are up for grabs in terms of a negotiation before you actually negotiate in a separate call that happens later. I'll have people, my, my students come back to me or my job seekers years later and say and, and thank me for that technique. But once you're in the job, I think the two most powerful techniques that you have at your disposal are coffee chats and a weekly manager meeting. So coffee chats, it's setting up informational meetings with people who are parallel to your manager. You never know when your manager is about to leave the company. And if your manager leaves the company, you've lost your only advocate if you have not networked beyond your immediate supervisor. So it's really important that you develop relationships with people parallel to your manager or in other parts of the organization so that you have someone to say your name and advocate for you at promotion time or at retention time, because at some firms they will cut the, the bottom percentage of, of performers. So coffee chats, basically setting up time with people, asking them how they got so good at their job, what they've learned for it, from it, where they think it's headed next, the space and their, their role, what they would do if they were in your position starting their career over. Really easy way to build likability. All you have to do is ask them interesting questions and get out of the way. So there's not really any sales that you need to do. It's just asking smart people to tell you why they're so smart. And the weekly manager meeting, this is simply a, a, a template. So there's a, a template for how to manage your a check-in with your manager. The most common mistake I see, especially students on internships make, is they don't agree with their, they don't understand what their manager's priorities are. So the key element is update them on any successes or progress that you've made since the last meeting so that they know what you're working on. But then give them your understanding of your priorities for the coming week. That way they can reorganize them if they think, well, priority number three is actually priority number one now based on some new information I just received. And that way you ensure alignment and you capture projects in an additional priority section that you don't have time to or bandwidth to cover this week, but you want to know that you're, you want your manager to know you're still aware of them uh, and you'll tackle them in future weeks. And finally, you close out with just a di uh, questions. Ask them a question about your space or maybe you have a tricky political situation that you're trying to navigate. Ask them for their guidance on managing that. It's a really easy time to develop mentorship and to build likability because you're demonstrating deference to someone whose hourly billing rate is much higher than yours. Uh, tell me what you've learned. How, uh, where do you think the space is headed? What do you think about this particular topic that everybody's talking about right now? Yeah, people are usually so worried about getting the job, and I get that, but but they don't have a plan for when they start. And I think now, especially as many people are still starting virtually, you are missing out on lot, a lot of that informal kind of orientation, um, you know, cultural cues and everything going on. So I think this is this is even more important than ever. And Steve, thank you so much for being here. Um, one last time, where can people learn more about you, your books, author, the, the two-hour job search and the job closer, and follow you? you online i'm at dalton underscore steve on twitter if you have quick questions uh, you can learn more about my book that's the jobcloser.com and twohourjobsearch.com to the number or the word um, and you can join the conversation about both of those books on linkedin in the two hour job search q a forum linkedin group with uh, 7500 of your new best friends Yes, definitely. Hey, if you're in a job search, you definitely want to check out the job closer to demystify the process. Thank you so much for being here again, Steve. Wishing you all the best with your latest book. And we look forward to having you here at the Warden School um, in July when you'll come speak with our students. So uh, thank you for that. Of course, Chris, Dana, and Dion, it is always fun to be here with you and our listeners and callers. We love being here for you every Thursday on Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM Channel 132 Business Radio, and we will see you next time. from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.